Have you ever regretted saying yes to something and just wish you'd never said yes in the first place? Or uh, wish you could say no to something but you don't know how? Well, I got you. Um, instead of either fulfilling your commitment because you said you would, or uh, coming back in a timely manner and being honest that you shouldn't have committed in the first place, try these four things next time. First, embrace your inner superhero. Tell them that maybe you were recently bitten by a radioactive sloth and you've gained the power of extreme laziness. And unfortunately, it means you can't fulfill your commitment. Or two, go full on mime. Like respond to their requests with exaggerated silent gestures and pretend that you've lost the ability to speak. Act out a scene where you're stuck in like an invisible box, making it clear that you are unable to participate. Or three, play the time traveler card. Inform them that you accidentally activated your time machine and got trapped in a loop and you're constantly reliving the same day. And sadly, you won't be able to make it because time travel has its downsides. Or four, maybe my all-time favorite, tell them that you'll pray about it and then just say no at a later date. You look super spiritual and mature, and who's gonna try to convince you that God is wrong? For some reason, honesty and commitment can be difficult. We, we either don't want to let someone down, or we don't want people to know how insecure we feel about ourselves, or we just aren't honest with ourselves about what we can and cannot do. A few years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was one kid that kept, uh, I kept inviting to things, and she kept giving me vague reasons on why she couldn't come. And one day I just said, hey, look, you don't have to, you don't have to give me some, some crazy answer. You can just say, I don't want to come, and that won't hurt my feelings. And oh man, did she do that. I think everything I asked her after that date, she would just say, no, I don't want to. Um, super proud of her, and I, I mean, I wish she would have said yes to a couple things, but, but still. When we find ourselves in these situations, we're communicating more than our availability. I think we're communicating our integrity. We are able to, are we able to do what we say we're going to do? And, and as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount uh, on Sunday mornings, we landed in, a, in, a, in some text that addresses this. So when I talk about integrity today, it's, it's one, are we going to be people who do what we say we're going to do? And two, are we going to be people who uh, say what we mean? And for that, I give a lot of credit to our nation's politicians. I mean, it is so easy for politicians to just say what they mean all of the time. I mean, they really model for us what it means to have integrity with their words and with their promises. If only everyone in our nation would follow their lead, I think we'd be in such better place. That's not real. I don't believe that. In fact, you want to know how to be a great politician? Spin. It's a, this really cool thing where you take something negative that happens and then you make it sound like it wasn't your fault. And if you're really good at it, you can convince people that they should actually be thanking you um, on how you handled it. So, do you want to learn? This is how it goes. First, you take a statement. Like, let's start with, our client was angry because we missed the deadline. And here's what you do. First, you write not, and then you change the negative word to a positive word. So, our client was angry becomes our client was not pleased. Then take the negative reason and change that to a positive too. So, we missed our deadline could become with the amount of time it takes to create quality work. 
And then if you really want to make it effective, put the positive first and ignore saying anything about how it made anyone feel. And so our client was not pleased we missed our deadline becomes quality work takes time. And now it's not your fault. They should be thanking you for making them wait so much for your excellent product. And some of you are at this point and you're probably like, what kind of sermon is this? The title says the Jesus way, but I don't know if this is it. No, it's not. We're going to look at scripture a little bit. Like it says on our screens, we're in a series called The Jesus Way, where we've been reading the words of Jesus' famous sermon in Matthew 5. And in the sermon, he talks a lot about how to follow his ways, and he addresses a lot of things. This morning, we're looking at Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And in your Bible, there might be a title in it that says Oaths. And uh, while records, um, and while it records Jesus giving some pretty simple principles on how to make oaths or vows or promises, it really helps us enter into a larger conversation about integrity. So let's read it. Verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Now, this part may seem kind of anticlimactic after the previous weeks about murder and adultery and eye plucking and hand lopping. But the issue Jesus is addressing here is still going to the very core of a person's character, to the heart of what it means to, to, to follow the Jesus way. Jesus is insisting that righteousness and harmony is not a matter of promises being made, but plain honesty and simple truth-telling. Jesus next moves to the subject by, uh, of making promises and vows. He again addresses the matter at a heart level. Verse 33, I read it before, I'll read it again. Again, you've heard it said um, to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. This reference to the people long ago could mean a time of, of, of Old Testament in, in general, or it could be a specific reference to the Exodus generation who had received the law of Moses. Um, the ninth commandment does say you shall not bear false uh, witness against your neighbor. Um, regardless of what people long ago um, Jesus has in his view, it's clear that he's discussing a long-standing practice of making vows. To vow or to make an oath by something was to say that your promise was as good or as lasting as the thing you were swearing by. If someone were to swear by a mountain, like Mount Rainier, they were swearing by, as long as that mountain is there, I will be or do what I am promising to you. People typically swore by things that endured, endured as a way of adding gravity to their oaths. And the most permanent thing a person could swear by was, of course, God. Psalm 92, God is talked about being everlasting to everlasting. To appeal to God by invoking the Lord's name when making an oath was to be absolutely bound to that oath in the strongest possible terms. Here's some other parts where it talks about making vows to the Lord. Leviticus 19.12, it says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. Numbers 32 says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord and or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23.21 says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay 
in pain for it, for it would be a sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And then in Ecclesiastes 5, or Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 5, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better for you, it is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. From these verses, it's obvious that God takes vows and promises and oaths in his name very seriously. He takes his name very seriously. Anyone who violates an oath made by invoking the Lord um, had this sense of punishment not only from society, but also is going to have repercussions um, with God himself. Uh, Yet again, religious uh, religious authorities created loopholes to get away with being deceitful and to wiggle out of their promises while maintaining this facade of righteousness. People would make vows not by God's name, but by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or some other thing. And when they broke their promises and they didn't fulfill their vows, they could set aside their feelings of guilt um, or dismiss their accusers with the fact that, oh, well, the vow wasn't, wasn't kept because it wasn't made to the Lord himself. And kind of in, in cool irony, Jesus even invokes his own divine name and authority and says, I say to you in his next instruction, but I say to you, make no oath at all, but rather simply let your statements be yes or no. In other words, just tell the truth. Just stop deceiving one another by trying to wriggle out of your agreements. Quit trying to add more weight behind your words that, um, um, on what you can vouch for. Another important point Jesus is making here is all authority ultimately derives from God. No authority solely rests with us. So don't even swear by heaven. Don't even swear uh, for it's the throne of God. Do not swear by earth for it is God's footstool. Do not swear by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. The the phrase the great king might refer to him himself, the Messiah, or the son of David, the king of David, or, or King David who, who conquered Jerusalem. Um, but but just don't swear by anything. Just Tell the truth. With humor, Jesus even kind of adds this. He says, You'll shout, don't even make an oath by your own head, for you can't even make your hair white or black. There, there are precious things that we can control as humans, and the natural color of our hair is not one of them. Ultimately, everything um, is under the control of God. And so what we can control is whether or not we will trust God and strive to keep and fulfill our promises. This is following the Jesus way. Any oaths beyond plain telling the truth of yes um, and no, uh, Jesus says it's problematic. It's it's evil. Um, The kingdom of heaven is full of righteousness and social harmony, and harmony between people can't exist without people being truthful. Trust, and that creates trust, and trust is the bond which ties together social groups and gives us strength together. So how does this these texts kind of shake us up today. If, if you kick around sand in an ocean, you get all this kind of disturbed, unsettled sand, and it might be reveals some things underneath the surface that you didn't know were there. And that's one of the benefits I find from reading scripture. It kind of shakes up the sand in our lives and helps us discover parts of us, um, or ultimately parts of God, that we can see in new ways. So the first thing I think this kind of shakes up is, first, it, it's, it, it reveals that God really takes God's name seriously. And I think that's appropriate because... Um, as there's more to a name. Your, your name is a representation of your character. That's why so many of us have a list of names we would never name our kids because someone named Dustin ruined, for it, ruined it for you in the third grade. If I say the name Mother Teresa, what characteristics come to mind? Selflessness, honor, strength. 
If I say Adolf Hitler's name, what characteristics come to mind? Aggression, narcissism, genocide. If I say God's name, what characteristics come to mind? From scripture, we learn that God's name means kept promises. It means grace. It means love. It means trust. But what kind of reputation, what kind of reputation do, do Christians have? The people who invoke God's name in their marriage vows, their baptismal vows, even their church membership vows. I know Christians are people and people aren't perfect. And I'm not preaching that if you're a Christian, you have to have the same enduring character of God. But if I can piggyback off of something our guest Alan Forsman said last week, that people who are done with the church or are deconstructing their faith, it's not necessarily because of the things that they're reading in the Bible. It's because the same people that in one breath worship Jesus and invoke God's name will in another breath break their promises, cause division, blame others, break trust, and even hate others. So yeah, I get why Jesus says, hey, if you're going to use my name, understand what you're doing. In fact, it's probably more responsible for you just to not use my name at all and just keep it a simple yes or a no and then follow through with that. A hot thing in the online streaming services lately has been a couple documentaries on fallen evangelical Christian icons. There's one about Hillsong. There's one about Liberty University. There's a new one about the Duggars. And, and here's my take on why we should pay attention to these stories. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that all of their ministries started out with good intentions to proclaim God's love and freedom from death and sin, to help others know the, the God who made them and loves them. And, and they were good at it. Stadiums were full of people singing praises. Public TV shows were being promoted about Christian lifestyles. Christian leaders were being trained up year after year. And with each new believer and new level of influence, it was successful. But success is dangerous, I think, to a church in particular. Because success feels like winning. And winning feels good. But winning is about a game. And it's not about people. And Christians are never called to play a game, but to care for people. And you might say, but isn't there some verse about running a race and winning? And yes, there is. But I interpret that as a metaphor about how to run your own course and your own life, not a directive to beat everyone else and be declared the winner at the end of your life. So it maybe starts out as um, the intention to make a difference slowly changes to the intention to win. And I don't think they intentionally sat down one day and said, we don't care about people anymore. We just want to be the best. Um, but over time, some of the choice, choices and the decisions that they made in God's name even reflected the opposite. And trust was broken and people were hurt and faith was affected. So Harbor Cove, I challenge us to never be about winning. It's not a game we play. We're called to be people of hope in the face of hopelessness, people of peace in the, pace, in the face of fear, and people of love in the face of hate. And, and when we are successful at that, let's not pat ourselves on the back, but give credit to the one in whose name we do it for. I think another thing that we discover that's kind of shaken up from looking at these verses in our lives is having to add extra vows and oaths to your words by their very existence implies that if they weren't there, you can't be trusted in the first place. I actually love this kind of logic as a joke. Um, the existence, so like the existence of a sworn nemesis implies the existence of a more casual nemesis. Or the existence of Dr. Pepper implies the existence of a shadowy, more devious character, Dr. Salt. 
Or the existence of fun-sized candy bars implies the existence of, this is nothing to joke about, sized candy bars. In, in all seriousness, I always get a little suspicious when someone starts out the sentence, if I'm being honest, because then it implies that there are times that you aren't, right? Because you've, you've had to make that distinction in this moment. Now, I get that when most people say that, they probably more mean like, I, if, I, if I can be frank here, if I can remove all of my, my filters, but it still implies that there are times that what you say is not really what you mean. And to quote Captain Jack Sparrow, a dishonest man you can always trust to be dishonest. Honestly, it's the honest ones you want to watch out for because you can never predict when they're going to do something incredibly stupid. When a person has a reputation of being honest and then does something dishonest, how long do you think that takes for people to trust them again? I'm not saying it won't ever happen again, but that journey back to being trustworthy is a very long road because everyone's guards are up now. But really, that's just anyone. If anyone says that they're going to do something and you're counting on it, and then they don't follow through with it, trust is broken and guards go up next time. And remember, the kingdom of God, this, this precious community of, of Christians who follow the Jesus way, these barriers between relationships don't work. So if your yes can just be yes and your no can just be no, and you don't need to add any extra qualifiers, to make, or to make your promises, to, to, to sound it more meaningful or sacred, then, then trust can grow even more freely. And the third thing that this passage kind of stirs up for me is, is a reminder to make good on what you say you're going to do. Whether it be in our faith community or in your career or your household or your friend group or your commitments, um, make good on what you say you're going to do. My oldest son loves to play baseball. He loves it. And he's been on a select team for two years, and while he loves playing, it has been a kind of rough experience for him. All respect and thanks to the coaches that gave their time and energy to the season, and, but I was just praying that this team would not kill his love for baseball at the end of the season. And while they got better as the year went on, they did struggle to get wins. And let's see if you learned anything from my lesson earlier about how to spin something from negative into a positive. Let's just say that successfully improving skills and creative positive team atmosphere took time. Towards the end of the season, even though we had to pay a good chunk of money and invested many weekends and made the commitment to the team, if Ethan ever came up to us and said, I just I can't do this anymore, I would have supported him. But he did it. He even kind of, I even kind of hinted at it and I said, hey, no, um, we, he's like, no, but we paid the money and we made the commitment and I need to finish. And in a reality I never saw coming, they actually wound up winning their bracket in their very last tournament and they got a medal. And if he would have quit uh, with his own frustration or shame on me, my, my encouragement, he wouldn't have known what it's like to stay committed to something and find success to make good on what he promised to do. And so I'm proud of that kid. And so thanks to the, all the adults in his life that taught him that lesson, because I don't know where I was. N not all of us are struggling on a struggling baseball team, but we are faced with moments where uh, we said we were gonna do something and then we find ourselves in a spot where we can back out or not. And I know that this can be for a bunch of reasons, some legit and some not. I know that for some being counted on to do something is a huge stressor. Um, and a big anxiety creator, and sometimes that anxiety is very paralyzing. 
and it's easiest to just disappear when it's time to show up. So please don't hear anything I'm saying as a shame on, on you kind of thing. Uh, we want to support um, you in, in, in our lives. There's a deeper mental health uh, thing that we need to try to meet there. And um, so reach, I just ask you to reach out to someone that you trust and bring them into your world to talk about that. But this reminder to follow through is good for places like work and school and community involvement. If, um, if you're reliable, you have a better chance at keeping your job. Um, if you're committed to your studies, you have a better chance of getting good grades. These are just the practical benefits of this ethic. But let's apply this uh, reminder to follow through to the previous two parts of Jesus' sermon. If you say you're going to be about reconciliation, do that. Stop hating people. Stop uh, and, and work through your anger. If you say you're going to love someone, show it in your relationship with your intentions and your promises to them. This ethic matters in our relationships and to the harmony that we have between us. So what do we, what do we take away from all this? Well, I think we need to cultivate integrity in our lives. Jesus' teachings in this passage hold a significant implication for our daily lives as his disciples. And if we do that, we honor um, our trustworthy God. We honor the people in our lives and we honor ourselves. And here are three things that I think would be good challenges for us to do that. The first is to speak the truth. As followers of Christ, we're called to be people of truth. So let's always strive to speak the truth no matter the circumstances. Honesty should be the guiding principle in our interactions, both with God and with each other. So let us remember that our integrity is a reflection of the character of God himself. Second, fulfill our commitments. When we make commitments, whether they are vows, promises, or agreements, we need to honor them. Let your yes signify our firm commitment to follow through and let our no indicate an honest assessment of our ability to fulfill a particular task or obligation. Now, don't miss that. It's important for you to know what you can and can't do and be honest about it. That takes initiative on your part to maybe do some reflecting. Maybe one way to do that is to analyze what tasks give you joy and what tasks drain you. And it could be something as simple as making a list of all of your responsibilities and identifying them in that way and then making adjustments as needed. So down the road, a yes is a yes and a no is a no more naturally to you. And when we fulfill our commitments, we demonstrate our faithfulness and reliability to others so trust can grow. And then the third thing is let's align our words with our actions. I don't know if it's good enough to simply speak truthfully, our words must align with our actions. Consistency is, so, is, is also vital to maintaining our integrity. Our words and our actions should be harmonious together, demonstrating a life of faith and authenticity. And so I think those, those two things are important to living the Jesus way. So I have three questions for you as we close up. One, if people were to mention your name to others, what words would you hope they associate with you? Two, how important is it for you to reflect God's faithfulness to others by being faithful to others yourself? And three, what commitments do you have now that you need to reevaluate? Thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. 
If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.